Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Monkey Mind Podcast. This is episode 21 featuring Justin Selman. Justin is a former professional hockey player in the St. Louis Blues organization and founder of Top Line Hockey located at the Anvil in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Episode 21 coming at you now. And welcome on. Um, we're excited to have you on and you know tell your story. So if you don't want mind just giving us a quick uh, introduction about you know growing up playing hockey and kind of um, where you're at right now and what you guys got going on with top line hockey. If uh, yeah, brief introduction right there. Sure. Um, so take it all the way back. I, I grew up in North Jersey, played for the Avalanche for most of my career, and then um, briefly had a stint at Bergen Catholic where I um, ended up leaving there my sophomore year. Uh, just to focus on club with the Avalanche going into my U16 season. Um, was lucky enough to have a really good season there and was drafted to the Des Moines Buccaneers uh, in that futures draft that they did back then. Um, went out to camp there, uh, really not expecting much, just trying to see what was out there. Had a good camp um, that summer, committed to Michigan, and uh, ended up making that Des Moines team out of that camp. Uh, Michigan saw me play there, so they told me, you know, if you can get to the USHL at that young age, go uh so I ended up in Des Moines which was definitely a culture shock to say the least and I'm sure we'll touch on that in a little but it was um you know playing against 20 year olds big grown strong men and uh you know I'm a 16 year old from northern New Jersey who hasn't really seen that kind of hockey yet it was a big wake-up call it was, it was good to uh you know spread my wings live with a host family there um and that was for my junior year of high school and then um my senior year was traded to the Sioux Falls Stampede in the USHO. Uh, so finished up high school in South Dakota and then uh, went into Michigan in 2012. Uh, and again, kind of took a big jump going as a true freshman. Uh, my, you know, my incoming class was Jacob Truba, Gunieves, Andrew Kopp, all three current NHLers and, uh, you know, Steven Racine, who had a, a short pro stint as well. And he was our starting goalie from freshman year. So, you know, again, kind of had to elevate right away, which was a good push for me. And then um, found out what it was like to miss some games being scratched, you know, just a heavy, heavy lineup. And uh, that's another kind of mental battle you go through playing hockey is staying on course with all that. Uh, but then junior year, um, kind of got a chance to play with Larkin and Hyman and um, elevated again pretty quickly there. That was that was definitely like a turning point in my career, I'd say. Um, it's funny. Booniev is my best friend. Um, we were, I was, we were playing in uh, Wisconsin. He had the stomach flu, and I was, I think, slotted in at like fourth line center that night. And uh, morning skate, he couldn't go, so I got the call to go up onto uh, Hyman and Larkin's line, which you know they were, I think, leading the country in points at the time. Had a hat trick that night, and uh, literally turned my whole career around at Michigan. I went from you know playing a couple minutes a game my junior year to you know, power play time with Larkin and Hyman. So kind of got me on the map for some pro teams. And um, my advisor agent at the time got me into uh, St. Louis's camp going into my senior season. And uh, a lot of areas of free agent. Uh, felt like I held my own, spoke to some of the staff there. And they kept an eye on me my senior year, which we went to the uh, 
fro- not the Frozen Four, the Elite Eight, played against North Dakota, and uh, we had a good tournament. And right from there, signed with the Blues. So went out to uh, St. Louis for camp, then uh, played most of my rookie season in Chicago with the Wolves, was up and down with the Wolves in Tulsa, uh, you know, back and forth with injuries and all that stuff. And then my uh, second year with the Blues, went to camp, actually had an exhibition game with them, which was awesome. Uh, played at the American Airlines Center, had a full lineup, Sagan, uh, Jamie Ben was in, Radiloff was playing. So that was yeah, definitely an awesome experience. And then, uh, again, we didn't have an AHL team my second year pro, so they sent some guys to Tulsa. They sent some guys to San Antonio, Kansas City. Uh, I went to Tulsa that season, spent a lot of time in Tulsa, had two concussions there. And then uh, my last game playing was a uh, sucker punch with the, with the Tulsa Oilers. I was planning on going to Europe the following season, but uh, took a punch to the back of the head in February and, uh, you know, helmet came off, head hit the ice. I wasn't even involved in the play and that was actually my last shift. And then uh, fast forward till, you know, 2020, Connor Lean, which Danny, I think you know pretty well, yep. uh, played at Maine with it. I think you guys crossed paths at Maine. No, he was actually the year after me. I went in and took his number. The year oh, after he graduated. Go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so Connor and I, as we were finishing up playing, put together a summer program. It was mostly just camps, local camps, and uh, some summer teams we took up to Boston and kind of put it on the back burner. Connor went into Wall Street. Um, I was doing some other entrepreneurial stuff, working with my family a little bit, and kind of chips fell into our hands during COVID. We, we partnered up with this facility uh, about 15 miles outside of Manhattan called the Anvil Sports Performance Center. It's a beautiful facility. Uh, state-of-the-art weight room, turf track, you know, they have oxygen therapy, the Normatec, the whole, everything's there. And uh, we put a 3,000 square foot glyce rink inside. Uh, we just finished construction about two weeks ago, finally. Um, you know, we've been running some small lessons on it as it was being built, but really grand opening was September 1st. And uh, it's been awesome. We've gotten, you know, Bergen, Bergen, Bosco guys coming in and out of there. Um, you know, Connor runs a lot of the stuff at night. I'm doing stuff during the day and we're trying to kind of expand our staff. We have a, a mental performance coach on, on staff. We have a nutrition counseling going on. So kind of trying to be that one-stop shop in New Jersey for secondary hockey training, right? It's not ice. It's not like we're trying to compete with the Hitmen or the avalanche. Um, it's more like you have your avalanche practice or your, uh, you know, your Hitman practice and you're working on flow or working on, um, you know, situational system stuff. And we come in, we do, you know, four or 500 shots. We have all the new technology on the glyce. So kids are working on different tricks and, you know, getting their hands faster. And then we go right into the weight room, really simple, take your skates off. It's not a full production, getting dressed and undressed. And, uh, you know, we, we hit it hard for about an hour in the weights during the summer. And now going into the season, you know, tailoring back the weights a little bit, doing some more structural stuff, posture work, hip, hip mobility and shoulder stability stuff, keeping the guys healthy going into the season. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I think that's something that uh, I noticed. I'm sure you have too, obviously. But just that kind of lack in the area is that one-stop shop. I know um, other places, other areas of the country, it's a lot easier for guys to, you know, get everything in one spot. Um, but around here, there hasn't yeah. been that. So I think that's really cool that you guys are offering a ton of different services and, and under one roof, um, which I think helps make, you know, hockey more accessible and, and the ability to get better and develop as a player, um, you know. For sure. In one, yeah. Under one roof, is I think it's awesome that you guys are doing that. And um, obviously, with everything going on, you guys have been, you know, doing well still, which is awesome to see. And um, 
I know that obviously you guys, you know, you and Leaner, um, awesome hockey players, and you guys really know what you're talking about, and know what you're doing. So I think that's great that players get to, you know, learn under you guys, which is huge. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that, man. We got to get you in there and getting uh, maybe get yeah. some video content, shooting some pucks or something. But it's yeah. um, it's been it's been cool. I mean, for me as a kid, and I'm sure it was like that for you. It was like you get in the car, drive 45 minutes to Stanford or wherever you were skating, and mm-hmm. then you'd come back, sit in the car for another hour in traffic, then you'd skate that night with a skating coach. Or it was always, like, two different stops on the train. And yep. then, you know, you get introduced to the third, which is, like, nutrition, and then you have a different guy who's doing PT. Like, we have a PT guy in, on house. So the parents are happy because they get to kind of just set up camp and they could work on whatever they're working on, especially during COVID. Everyone's taking calls in the office rooms and stuff like that. And the kids don't have to worry about going in and out of locker rooms and stuff. So it's actually been interesting with COVID, with the school schedules going back to the way they are. Kids are in and out and having like every other day. So we're able to work, you know, some mornings with the guys and get, in, get them in and out, get the facility cleaned, and then get them back in the afternoon. So it's, it's been cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what precautions have you guys been having to take right now? I mean, how do the groups work? Um, so people are allowed in, all the- that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, we've been operating basically private, private lessons for a while. Uh, we have a PT guy on staff. So a lot of guys will come in, see him and then get, get some work in. And that kind of falls under that jurisdiction. Uh, but I mean, we're taking all the precautions you can, right? I mean, we're doing the temperatures at the door. We have, you know, the, the questionnaire for if you've been exposed anywhere before that traveling, all that stuff. Um, you know, when we're doing the weights, I'm wearing a mask if I'm ever spotting guys just to kind of be extra precautionary and I'm, you know, guys are taking tests pretty much bi-weekly to make sure they're not exposed. Um, you know, we're doing all that stuff. We're sanitizing the gym a couple times a week, wiping everything down every time we're using it. Um, you know, doing everything we can, but the, the place is capacity is 500. So at uh, Murphy's 25% rule, we're always more than fine, but we've never had a group more than six. And truthfully, you have your gloves on, you're kind of moving around on the ice or, or glyce, you're not really worried about it there. And then in the weight room, everybody's on their own rack. And uh, when they're using the dumbbells, it's wiped down before each set. So it's, it's as best as you can, you know? Nice. Yeah, no, for sure. That's awesome that you guys are, you know, able to still get good, good amounts of guys in there um, to work out and stuff. And before, you know, we kind of circle back to your hockey career, if you can just um, tell everyone where they can, you know, get in touch with you on your personal social media and top line social media. If uh, you can just drop for that sure. Quick. Yeah. Um, definitely give me a follow on Instagram. It's uh, top line hockey. It's just at top line hockey or my personal is Justin Selman 10. Uh, any kind of hockey questions, interested in lessons, interested in putting a group together. I mean, we're working actually with the main incoming freshman uh, redshirt Remy Parker. So pretty much the whole spectrum of players, just learning to skate and just getting a stick in your hand all the way up into uh current division one and pros so you know happy to help and uh definitely looking for guys i just going off of uh you know that uh you know one-stop shop comment i think that's so crucial now when it comes to development of players because i mean when you're 10 11 12 obviously you're not driving yourselves so um i think one of the biggest things for kids is you know having access to basically like a summer camp, like you go there and you're there for like four hours. Cause you're getting, um, what, what do you call it? Glyce? Is that what it yeah, is? For, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's synthetic ice. The brand we, we used is called Glyce. Okay. Yeah. So like you're getting that, which is basically the fundamentals and the like 
structure behind, you know, stick handling, shooting and whatnot. And obviously it's a lot different than, you know, regular skill sessions on ice, but if they're incorporating that along the lines of, um, you know, the strength and conditioning part as well, that's so crucial because then honestly, like, especially during COVID parents just drop the kids off and, you know, a couple hours later they'll come back and pick it up and their kids completely gassed and, you know, they're staying active. They're, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's like exactly like we've actually toyed around with the idea of doing some sort of after school program, something like that, because it is a three to four hour experience. Sometimes guys are in, we're stretching, we're doing mobility work for the first 20. You're on the, you're on the turf moving around. And then by the time you lift, you're an hour in you're lifting and then you get a little rest. You're on the glyce working out, getting your shooting in. We'll track your, you know, we rate our guys shots. We sit down in the video room and break it down. So sometimes guys are there really, you're right for three, four hours. Plus then they'll throw the Normatex on for 30 minutes, hang out, watch playoffs on the TV. So it's really, you're right. It's a good place to kind of know you're not in and out of four different facilities and everything's checked off the box and you can come home and kind of rest your head. And then truthfully doing nutrition with guys too, it's kind of, we're working on immune programs to keep guys healthy during COVID. And, you know, as winter comes, making sure they're eating the right things to keep their immune system functioning properly to, you know, fuel this performance truthfully. Yeah. And I think that's honestly one of the biggest things because when you're like, when we were growing up, like we didn't have the nutrition programs. We didn't have the glut. Oh, at least I didn't, I didn't have the nutrition, the glyce and all that other shit that is so crucial down oh, yeah. the road so man i can tell you teaching... we were getting skittles in between periods like <laughs> you know yeah. yeah by by teaching it early and often you're allowing these kids to develop the habits that will excel their careers beyond belief and the fact that you do it all in one spot and you know have all these like if you asked me when i was 12 what a normatech was I would, I, I just stand there and not have yeah. anything to say. And the fact that you have, like, I don't know, obviously the, the uh, age range that you guys have, but having the other, like the glyce and the weight room and then the nutrition, like obviously the recovery aspect, these kids are learning what you, you need to do and focus on to be a pro and, you know, move up to the next level at such a young age that, you know, it's so different compared to when we were growing up where it's like, all right, here's a hot dog, go play mm -hmm. a game. hundred percent. It's crazy. But, yeah. It's, it's a whole new world. I mean, kids are one sport athletes at the age of 12, which I don't know if that's, you know, if I agree with a hundred percent, but if they're going to put all their time into one sport, you might as well give them, you know, the, the peak uh, advice on each, on each facet one at a time, all in one place. So. Yeah, great, especially, especially from hockey guys, too. I mean, there are some obviously other places um, where there's guys who obviously know what they're talking about with strength and conditioning and all that sort of stuff. But where you have a hockey background as well, I think helps, especially at the fact that you've played at the highest levels. Um, that having a person with experience and with that knowledge, I think is so impactful because, you know, you can tell them from a young age, okay, this is – kind of what guys are doing at this level to be successful. And these are their habits. And the fact that you guys also incorporate mental um, performance coaching and stuff like that, I think it's just, that's awesome. And I think it's awesome that you guys are doing that. And um, truly something that kind of hasn't really 
it, it's one of, it's one one of a kind back in our area at least I'd say. Yeah, and I think that's like we could have surely we could have gone to Florida or, or a Texas or Chicago or something like this, and, and people argue like, man, there's six rinks right around you, and mm-hmm. it, it's not like we're trying to compete with that. We're trying to, in in all honesty, give this group of kids coming up here who if you go on google I, or you know elite prospects this these avalanche and saints kids they're they're ranked top in the country but you know stack them up against somebody in, in michigan they're still going to go with the michigan kid because they just think oh michigan's a, a hockey town or you know mm-hmm. michigan's a hockey state or chicago's a hockey state like new, new jersey's putting out talent danny and you know that and, of course and these kids deserve the same resources that somebody from toronto is going to get or you know, Chicago, Michigan, Boston, it, it should be just, you know, right up there in that conversation. No, yeah, without a doubt. No, it's, uh, it's awesome what you guys are doing. I'm excited to see it grow. And um, once everything kind of starts going back to normal, I think it's going to really gain a lot of even more traction than what it is. And a lot of players are going to be benefiting from that. So um, that, that's awesome in itself. But, yeah, and um, quickly I want to circle back now to your career. I mean, you brought up, uh, you know, Early on, I think you had to grow up, I'd say, quicker than most players. I mean, it's tough to move away at 16 years old, especially to the Midwest where, um, you know, you're coming from an area like, you know, we're right outside Manhattan. It's, and then you're moving to Des Moines, Iowa. It's definitely it's a culture shock for sure. Yeah. And oh, you're yeah. there for a purpose. And I don't think any, it, it, not many kids, it's a small percentage that are able to handle a change like that. Um, especially when it's just for hockey you're so hyper-focused. So talk to, tell us about that, how that experience was and how you adjusted to that. And I mean, obviously it goes on and you know, you were a true freshman too. So, um, but just take it back to, you know, 16 being in Des Moines, Iowa. It's crazy. Uh, you know, the more I think about it and I see these kids coming through who I work with and, and that age they're at and what, it, you know, a 16 year old's mindset is to go out there with, you just don't realize you just, I guess for me in hockey, it was always like, what's next? And how, what do I need to do to get there? So, you know, once you're 14, 15, you see some guys start going to the USHL. And, you know, all I did online was in school or whatever, was spend my time on the USHL's website, reading about it, seeing the different arenas, like hyping myself up for it. So I didn't really get a chance to be nervous until I got there. And then all of a sudden, you know, your family's 2,000 miles away. Your friends from school are 2,000 miles away. Your first day of school comes up and I'm driving a – you know, I'm driving a pickup truck. Some kids were driving ATVs and, and John Deere's to school. Like, no joke, fully, <laughs> like, you know, like it was a full-blown 360, and I couldn't had nothing to expect besides just going to it and see what happens. Um, I lived with a, a 75-year-old woman, just her and her dog, in, like, a, a one two-bedroom, you know, house in Des Moines, casseroles for dinner every night, like total, totally different than what I was used to. But yeah. I think – it gave me like a, a different perspective on life. And, and I really look back, like I can appreciate it now, but when you're out that young, you're just looking to get through the season, counting down the days till Christmas. Then you get back and you're kind of counting down the days till whatever your next break is. And you don't really dive into it until it's, it's almost too late there because you're just so young. And I wish maybe, I don't know if I, I'm not sure what you did, but I like, wouldn't have hated being there one year out of school and just focusing on the hockey part. Cause you still do have to keep your grades up and you're in and out of school. The team's practicing in the morning. You're going from practice to school, back to practice. It's, it's a lot of juggling, but it definitely sets you up for college being on your own. Um, 
you know, you're, you're around guys who are 20, even 21 years old when you're that young, just, you kind of are exposed to things and you either take to them or you don't, but at least, you know, you're exposed to them young and you get to make your own decisions and you're kind of forced to grow up quick. Yeah. Without a doubt. And then, I mean, I think going into college as a true freshman um, with the academic load and then just being able to transition to college hockey is another challenge in itself um, that I don't know if I was just a regular student and not a hockey player and I went in at 18, I, I 100% wouldn't have been ready. Um, and then on top of that, you're tacking on, you know, playing division one college hockey. Talk about how that transition was now too. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I could have expected what the jump was going to be like. And, and, you know, Michigan, they coaches said, Hey, come on freshman. Like you're going to be a true freshman halfway through my senior year. Everything's still on track. Great. And you don't really, you watch a couple of the big games, but you don't see the pace difference yeah. and the size difference and just the athleticism difference of these guys who, you know, in the USHL, you're playing a lot of games. So you're not really in the weight room like that. And I show up to school and guys are front squatting 450 pounds, hang cleaning like 500 pounds. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, wow, you know, I am, very very small fish in a big pond again and again it kind of just forces you to work right away and you know you're in the weight room with guys who are first round picks uh you're on the ice with guys who are first round picks and you're like you're you're sizing yourself up against them and some days you're like all right I can kind of hold my own here and some days you're like wow I, I better get to work so um I'm, I'm happy I was able to play in front of a big crowd in the USHL because that part of it wasn't a big factor for me I know some guys who come from junior leagues that don't get fans or or like uh, prep schools where there's only a couple hundred people in the stands playing at a place like Yoast, your first game, you know, there's 6,000 people screaming. There's a, a marching band behind you, behind the net. Um, it's a lot going on. So I, at least I was used to that kind of stimulus, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a crazy jump. Uh, then you're playing with guys who are 25, 26 years old. And it's, it's, uh, it's something where, you know, looking back again, I think, going and doing an extra year like a lot of these kids are in such a rush and I was too it's like get to college you want to be a true freshman that's kind of the it thing to do that's that's the most elite thing you can do and there's really no rush like a whole year of development just you know helps you leaps and bounds yeah oh, no big time flow you were you you weren't a true freshman right you were one year out no I I went in as a true you went freshman in true? okay yeah and I was coming from prep school so it was like Holy shit! What it? What did I just get myself into? <laughs> right, but at least on the flip side, you had the the academics locked down. Like for me, I was going to school in South Dakota for two and a half hours, basically, and you know you're in and out. Like you're used to that workflow of get your work done. And the schoolwork wasn't a joke. I'm sure at prep school, and then you know back to the rink to the dorms. At least you had that normal workflow. Whereas you know a junior player, he's home playing video games by one. And the only thing he has to focus on is when's his next practice or when the bus leaves for the 12 hours they're on the bus, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Like the structure that came with the prep school obviously helped me a ton. Um, but at the same time, I also wish I played juniors because when I got to pro, I had no fucking clue about how to manage my time because for the seven years before that, it was, you know, so structured and like I had no control over anything. So, you know, my schedule was basically made for me like as 
we all saw in college. So, like, I can't imagine, you know, having to deal with high school, you know, practice before school and then go to school and then go back to the rink. And then, you know, I lived through the Billet family my first year at prep school just because uh, the timeline of when I uh, ended up there because of my first high school. That's a different story. <laughs> but um, it's when it comes to the time management and, you know, balancing – the academics and whatnot, especially transitioning into college as an 18 year old. I, I can't imagine that. So, I mean, ha, like kudos to you because I know a ton of guys do that, but that can't be easy. And, you know, it, it, the fact that you're able to do it and especially living with a 75 year old, <laughs> I mean, it's a lot different than a lot of stories I've heard about guys that, either have another teammate living with them or the family they live with has other kids. So, I mean, yeah, it was weird. I mean, she had been doing it for like, I think it was like 25 seasons in a row and she had a wall of all the players that she's had come through there and she had some NHLers and that was cool um, to kind of see those faces on the wall, but it was just like, you know, me, her and her dog. And I was so young (laughs) that coach put a 10, I think it was like a 10 o'clock curfew. So it was like I'd go to the mall with the other kid in, on my team and be home at seven, watch hockey. Like it was really not a lot going on. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, that's tough. And then, so then talk about when you were at Michigan, right? You said that you know you were kind of there was a period where you weren't in the lineup and um, you know tra- managing oh, that expectation yeah. of that and finally getting that opportunity because you know you see it all the time. It doesn't always go as planned, obviously. And in college hockey, it's like you worked your whole life for, and then to find yourself in that of a lineup or whatever it may be, and then getting that opportunity. And you see how it takes one bounce and you're back in it. You know, like for you, you were, you said you were with Hyman and Larkin and you had a hat trick yeah. because, yeah. because Boo was, was sick, right? Because Boo was sick. And yeah. then all I mean, of a sudden it year, takes yeah, off. It just takes off. It's like, before going in, you can have the conversations with your advisor or agent and, hey, you know, I spoke to Coach Powers and Red, and they said you'll probably be slotted third line, you know, kill some penalties. Awesome, great. You know, I get to, you know, get that first game out of the way and then see what happens. And then, you know, you get a few shifts, the puck gets hemmed in your zone, all of a sudden it's your fault that you guys that are, you know, we lose 3-1 when you're not on the ice for any goals, but someone's got to come out of the lineup to make a change. And if you're that, you know, bottom – 10, 11th, 12th forward, you know, you're always looking over your shoulder. Like, is it going to be me next night? Yeah. And that kind of creates a, a tough atmosphere to play in right, mm-hmm. as a freshman, right? Like you're gripping your stick a little tighter than you want to. Every play counts way more than it, and it really does in the grand scheme of things. And then you kind of find yourself watching games from the stands, yep. you know, working, working out during the games or whatever. And that's a brutal feeling that sucks. Um, I didn't get a really a taste of that until like the end of my freshman year. I played most of my freshman year, uh, like third and fourth line. And then playoffs got a little hairy. And then my sophomore year was, I mean, that class was Tyler Mott, JT Comfer, uh, Evan Allen, who was the leading scorer of the national program at the time. Um, You know, we had, we had Phil DiGiuseppe was still in the lineup. We had a ton of forwards like with NHL rights that weren't like seventh round picks, like, first second third round guys who it's just like I'm you know you're just like wow I just am not going to get in the lineup so 
it's either like you throw your hands up in the air and start complaining to guys, which, you know, you've probably heard a million of those stories and those guys come around or you just kind of wait for your opportunity and hope for the best. So we had an awesome strength and conditioning coach at Michigan and, and he really pushed me my sophomore year to come in as a junior and be an upperclassman and be ready to go. And um, we had a few guys leave and sign early. So I got that you know chance back my junior year. But yeah, the real turning point and sticking point for me was that Wisconsin weekend. Boo, if you ever talk to Boo, for some reason always got the stomach flu in Wisconsin. It was three years in a row. It was weird. Jesus. Yeah, like it was like his, 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 like a superstitious thing. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I remember coach was like, you're going to, you know, center Larkin and Hyman tonight. I was like, whole, like texting all my family, like, make sure you watch tonight. I'm in the lineup. You know, it was on Big yeah, Ten yeah. Network. That's awesome. And uh, it just, you know, it was playing with those guys. I probably could have played righty and still scored. But it was <laughs> it was great. I mean, you know, then finally each game starts to matter for the bigger things, not just, you know, did I get the puck out? Did I get the puck in? You're starting to get touches. And then you just build confidence, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, 15 games under your belt in a row where you're not in a lineup, and your ice time goes from six to minutes to 15, 17. All of a sudden you're playing in the 20s, and you're on the power play. It just happens. And, you know, while you're not in, coach is telling you, you just got to practice harder and all these things. You're like, yeah, like give me a chance. And it's just, I guess, a combination of luck, paying your dues, you know, sticking with it. But it's like a very frustrating process, and I'm sure – a lot of guys have a similar voice in their head that's like, is this going to be me tonight? Am I in? Am I out? Am I in? Am I out? And it's a, it's a tough way to play. So to get – Yeah. I mean, I, I know that feeling all too well. Um, <laughs> I think we all do. Yeah. And, and like, I, in, in a mental health standpoint, that, like – whether you want to call it anxiety or, or stress, whatever it is, that's taxing for sure. As a player, I don't care if you're 14 or 35, you know, I've sat in the stands and Danny and Flo, I'm sure you have too, where you're scratching a pro game and the guy's motherfucking one of your line mates just because, you know, he thinks he's better than him or this or a trade or his agent or the coach or whatever it is. And everyone's got that reason in their head because everyone believes in themselves as a player, right? Or you wouldn't yeah. be there. So it's like, you're telling yourself all these stories and, and like different versions of the truth, basically to get yourself through that weekend. And, you know, you hate every guy on the team. You hate the coach, you hate this. Then all of a sudden you play, you have a goal and it's come on boys. We're the best team in the world. Yeah. You've seen that guy. Oh it's crazy. My God. That's yeah. actually like my biggest pet peeve. Cause like, that's just the worst. I mean, you're already pissed off that you're not playing and then yep. you just want to sit there, enjoy the game watch the boys like win or whatever and watch the guys do well but it's like you have those guys who just like they carry that negative energy and it just makes yeah. the experience so much worse because you're already in a bad mood and then you gotta hear this guy complain for whatever reason he's getting screwed whatever it may be and yeah i mean there's a massive level of anxiety in that whole entire situation because you just want to play and you're around other negative energy you feel a negative and you just it's so much easier said than done than you know Buckle down and keep going. Pay your dues, yep. all that. But it, it's tough. Then you got um, a guy who's been there for four or five years. Like, buddy, it doesn't matter if you get back in the lineup and exactly. score three goals. This yep. guy's coming back down from you know <laughs> yeah. Lewis, and you're yeah. you're screwed. And you're just like, okay, great. Well, then I might as well just not show up today, right? Like, exactly. It's just it's crazy. And that rhythm that you get in of, you know, like you said, when you're playing like five minutes a night, when you do get in, you know, it's almost like you're not even playing the game because it's just you're, there's even so much thinking. 
And then finally, mm-hmm. you're just like, sitting there waiting, waiting. Did I screw up? Am exactly. I going to screw up? Yeah. And then you finally, yeah, when you do get into that rhythm, it's nice because you can just finally play and let the game, you know, let, let you play out, let the game kind of flow. And it's, it's an enjoyable experience. But when you start getting into that situation where you're not playing in and out five minutes a night, you just, you fight it. And it almost feels like you're not even playing hockey anymore. Which, yeah, uh, which, totally. which, how did you, what were some of the things that you did to kind of um, manage that, you know, that, that stressor of, you know, that worry, that anxiety, whatever you want to call it. I, I wasn't very good at it, to be honest with you. And I wish I knew the techniques I had in practice now, then like I was, I had no mindfulness practice. I didn't meditate. I didn't do anything. I just kind of like crossed my fingers and would be one of those guys would be like, if I make this rolled up, you know, piece of paper into the garbage, I'll be in the lineup tonight. Superstitious. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. you know, I, I was yeah. like that. And, and it wasn't, healthy and it got to the point where if I had class at two and I was I was texting guys I hey are you at the rink yet like what color is my jersey you know am I in am I out yeah, like it, yeah. and everyone knows it like who, yeah, yeah. who's played at that, at that level but it just sucks like being in class with Boo and he'd be like yeah dude like can't wait for the games this weekend and I'm like well my parents are waiting to see if they're gonna fly out still because I'm in or out you know and it's just mm-hmm. like it's a whole different mindset showing up to the same place with different people yeah did you guys have um, a sports psychologist or anything like that at, at school? Um, yeah, we did. He was around, not not like uh, on call. He would come like once a month and do more like team building. Mm-hmm. Him on your own. Uh, here and there I did. And we definitely talked about this kind of stuff. You know, staying even keel, kind of just like you said, going with the flow, letting what happened happens. But you know that they also talk to the coaches because the coaches try and find out where your head's at. So it's never a comfortable space. And I don't, I, I would never be like, yeah, you know, I, I feel like coach hates me or how coach thinks this of me to him because it's definitely going right back in the circle to the staff. You know, he was an ex player um, and just worked with the team. He was mostly a, a social worker, but he would work with the team as an ex player. So definitely two, two different doors of communication happening there. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things. Like, I mean, like you said, like you're in college, like after you're there for a little while, you start to like pick up on the little things that are happening. Like, even as little as like the color of the jerseys, like at Providence. Oh, yeah, man. If you're on the blue line, like you're like, oh, fuck, here we go. Mm -hmm. Like another week. Yeah, you're like, you're counting the numbers on the lineup chart. Like, (laughs) where am I here? And if this guy's hurt and. My jersey yeah. was red, but now on Thursday it's now it's blue. Like, yeah. and you know everyone else is just like, cool. I hope I have a good practice. And you're like, well, if he has a bad practice and he's still hurt, and I'm my jersey's blue, like, you're already like mind fucking yourself three different ways before you even touch the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like, that kind of trickles into um, you know talking to the sports psychologist because you know at first you're 18 year old freshman, you think that. I mean, you can talk to this guy, say whatever you want, and then all of a sudden you start hearing stories about how this guy said this to the sports psychologist, but somehow the coach got wind mm-hmm. of it. And you're like, oh, fuck. I shouldn't yep. have said what I just said for the last 45 minutes. So over time, you become more comfortable with the sports psychologist, but you're also not expressing yourself and your thoughts and your feelings the way you – you know, really want to and actually need to because you realize that 
it's not just between you two and somehow, and I'm not saying all sports psychologists are like that because I mean, we had uh Wally Bisdell and you know, that guy has however many college teams and, you know, a great guy and, you know, helped me through uh, some pretty, uh, pretty tough years. But at times I was like, Oh shit. Like, should I have not have said that? Like, and then the next time I would meet with them, it would become like, all right, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to hold back a little bit. So like you start to pick up on the trends and how things work. But I feel like if a, if a team has a sports psychologist that, you know, they trust and whatnot, it could be so beneficial because man, college hockey is a fucking, it's a, <laughs> it's a dark place sometimes. And like, it, it can be pretty cruel to you. And I mean, I'm not complaining cause you know, I, I wouldn't change my four years to the world, but there was definitely times where I was like, Holy shit. I'm counting what number I am on the, Excel sheet that the practice plan has on the deep, the deep hairs and mm-hmm. the color that I'm in. It's like, and you're like, maybe it's random. Maybe it's not. Oh wait, he's uh, better than me. And he's better than, okay, no, it's not random. Now I'm fucked. Yeah. It's hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Everyone does it. And the coaches, if they ever played know what they're doing, but they still kind of leave those little clues around and everybody in their mind knows what's going on before the lineup's posted on Friday or Saturday, whatever it is. But, you know, they have those probably three forwards and two or three D each practice just squeezing their stick way too tight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was walking into the rink, like, oh, sh- like, do I even want to, like, turn the corner into the locker room and see oh, the yeah. board right now? Like, <laughs> fuck oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, Wally was – I worked with Doc Wally quite a bit because I can be – like, I can get super in my own head. So he was awesome for me, and I, I hundred percent trusted him. And but I just think that having someone like that is is a game changer because I think junior year was a really tough year for me. Um, and having him to talk about that going into my senior year and kind of what I went through and how I kind of um, didn't handle situations that were thrown my way the right way, I, I could have had a much better outcome, you know. And I think having mm-hmm. him to talk talk with him about that and go into my senior year prepared to handle anything and just simply go out there and play and have fun and not worry about checking this, checking the board and doing like the mental calculations of if this guy does this and this guy, like just go out there and play. <laughs> he helped me walk, he helped walk me through that in a way that was going to work for me. So senior year, whatever happened, I was, I was going to be ready to take that on. And, and I was going to have my whole senior year to work with him and, you know, and, and work through that. So that, that was huge for me personally. I know, I know that. And what works for me, is different for everybody else. I know. Do you uh, meditate, Justin? I know you mentioned that before, but do you do that? Yeah, now? I do. I do. And I, to, to your point about the sports psychologist, I think having anybody is better than nobody, right? So, yeah. like, even if it's somebody you don't 100% trust, just saying it out loud is going to help mm-hmm. in some capacity. And uh, you're not going to come off as that negative teammate and all that stuff. But, yeah, to, yeah, I do um, – Tried the uh, the Wim Hof like breathing. I think that's great. Like uh, it's like a breathing technique that's kind of like forcing yourself to hyperventilate almost uh, before like doing an ice bath or a cold shower, and that kind of just helps kind of reset your mind a little bit. Um, I do some different like eight 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 techniques or like different. I try and you know do a headspace or a calm every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I'm not really in 
dire stress at like a game situation where I would do like a visualization type stuff anymore. But mm-hmm. it, I, I do like to come home at the end of the day and just kind of unplug, put the headphones in, you know, sit there 10, 15 minutes, work on my breathing, slow it down. A lot of the times I wander and it's something where it's, you know, what am I doing tomorrow? Did I text that guy back about this or that? But uh, it at least helps me just kind of unwind from the day. And I wish I had known it wasn't so, for lack of better words, like foo-foo back when I was playing because it definitely helps. Um, you know, I wear a fitness tracker and, like, watch my heart rate go down pretty significantly from, from doing these different techniques. So I wish I had done it back then. Yeah. What's that uh, when you said the, the type of breathing where you could hyperventilate? What's it called again? Uh, um, so the guy is called Wim Hof, W-I-M space W-O-F. And it, he's pretty fascinating. Like I've, I've read his book and um, like I watch a ton of his videos. He does some crazy podcast stuff. But he basically submerges himself into like ice water or he'll sit in freezing cold temperatures. There's actually a, a Goop episode with him on Netflix. his breathing and basically going from like sympathetic to parasympathetic state in his nervous system and he can control his his whole flow and he's able to you know be in ice cold water for extended amounts of time or he believes that like going into situations like an ice bath or a cold shower is forcing your body to do something that sucks so like when those situations come about you're kind of prepared for them i guess gotcha yeah it's I've seen, I've seen, uh, what's his name? Uh, Steve Weatherford he used to be a kicker for or a punter for the giants. I think Yeah, he's a, he's a big uh, fitness freak and he has his own freezer that he, yeah, like a meat freezer. Yeah. Said, and, right? uh, he's big into that stuff and I'm not sure if it's the same exact, uh, technique, but, um, I follow him. It's yeah. Any cold therapy, same thing with like cryo, um, all that stuff, you know, it, it's just triggering your body to kind of go from that fight or flight and it's forcing yourself into the flight. So when times come, you know, you're kind of prepared for it and you're not as stressed on the nervous. System. Yeah. Like, um, I follow him on Snapchat just cause he does have some pretty good meditation rituals and whatnot. But the other day he, you know, he wakes his kid up at 5am and, throws him in the freezer and it's like trying to teach him to just you know calm down and you know control the breathing and obviously 12 13 year old kids just going to be pissed off at that point but he focuses so much on uh, like you said that fight or flight and he uses that you know ice bath um technique a ton and obviously everyone has done or any hockey player at least has done an ice bath at one point and even now getting in still like that first couple seconds it's like you don't think about it but you gotta yeah. focus on your breath i can't do it's like i can't yeah. do this You're like oh, fuck this yeah, yeah. but it, it even you know I want to say knocks the wind out of you, but you know, you start to, you know, like start to lose that yeah. breath. So that's the breathing, <laughs> yeah. right? Like where you're, if you can, yeah. you're almost, you force yourself in that breathing technique to do it. Uh, and you're like basically like fully in, fully out, fully in, like for like three, four minutes. And it's funny on the app, you can track. So the last breath you take, it's 30 inhales like that, 30 in, out, like one, two, three, all the way up to 30. On 30, you press hold my breath and you can see 
like the difference of a normal breath hold, like just trying to hold your breath, you'll get a minute, minute 30, whatever you do this leading up to it. You'll get like two, three, you know, three and a half minutes sometimes. Like it's crazy what it does. It like oxygenates your cells. It's, it's really, I mean, he goes to the extremes of talking about how it can uh, help you fight off disease. And they actually like inject uh, two people with like a placebo, one's a placebo, one's with e, like E. coli or something. And just with these breathing techniques, we're able to fight it off the same way as the placebo, like crazy stuff. Um, definitely look into it. Yeah, that's wild just thinking about and hearing that. Like, obviously, you don't know much about it, just hearing someone talk about it. But just to think about, you know, how that could be beneficial to someone with some sort of disease or whatnot is just, it's wild. Yeah, 100%. And meditating is not for everybody too, but it's nice to just at least give it a shot. Because, um, I mean, like you said, like you thought it was foo-foo growing up, and I, I thought the same, I was like, I'm not going to meditate. You know, I'm not going to sit down right. and, and, like, breathe and do nothing. That's not going to help me. It's not going to benefit me. But, I, you know, when I started giving it a shot and just trying it, it I'll tell you one thing, like the first week I did the Headspace free trial, and I was like, I couldn't even get past two minutes. I'm not even joking. And, like, I was just getting, like, it's kind of like the ants crawling under my skin, kind of like just sitting there, you know? So it's definitely an adjustment, but it can, for me at least, it can play some, it can be pretty beneficial. And um, if you can get it into a routine with doing that and, you know, wake up first thing in the morning or if you end your day with it, I think you can find some clarity in that and taking time for yourself. So um, that's awesome that you found that to be beneficial for you and, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way, but I wish we kind of knew these things earlier in our careers too. Yeah. But um, one thing we actually asked you guys, we haven't asked this question in a bit, but what's something that you feel um, could, could change as far as athletes and mental health to kind of, I guess, change the stigma or something that maybe could be beneficial for players at a younger age? What, what's something that you say would – should be implemented or should change. So I, I lost you. I, I heard, what do you think should be implemented to, and then I didn't hear you. Yeah, is it just, yes. No, I, so my question was, what is something that you feel can be either implemented at a younger age or um, even uh -huh. at the higher levels to kind of say, change the stigma on mental health or benefit, you know, athletes as a whole um, in regards to sports psychology and mental health, something that you think could be. Well, I think I, you know, I think, the the media has done a decent job in the last probably three years with like Michael Phelps leading the charge and then LeBron getting behind these big meditation apps, but, uh, and like not meditation apps, sorry. Like, uh, LeBron, I think is Inscape or Headspace, one of them, but the other one's Talkspace where it's just a full online platform for psychologists and um, to talk and go back and forth without in-person. I think making that as important as, you know, a weekly you know, conditioning session. And it doesn't have to be an hour sitting in front of a guy in a rocking chair with a notebook, but, you know, a group meditation where it's, you know, you're visualizing even sports related things to start and showing kids like you just said, and I just said, it's not foo-foo and it actually has impactful results, whether it's a current player talking about it, platforms like this, mentioning it more and more. Um, but even just speaking with somebody because you're, uh, depressed or, you know, going through concussions or whatever it is and not feeling like you're faking it is, is huge. I think one of the issues I always faced, especially late in my career um, were, were with my concussions was I was always afraid to 
speak up to the trainer because the same way I thought the team psychologist was talking to the coaches, I know the trainers training staff is. So obviously if you have a broken arm or broken leg or your ankles screwed up, coach can see you on the training table with that. But, you know, after a couple of weeks with a concussion and you still have headaches and anxiety and you're not sleeping and, and all these things and you don't feel right, they're expecting you to be doing one thing and to just kind of keep lingering with that, with that non-visible injury kind of gets played out quick. And I don't think trainers do a good enough job being sympathetic with the players on that. And I, I know there's a, an anomaly every here and then where guys aren't actually hurt and they're holding out for this deal or whatever it is. But for the majority, guys are forced back in way too quickly and then susceptible to another injury. Whereas if it was a broken hand, they wouldn't be holding their stick and, you know, case closed, but you look fine. You know, your eyes don't look dilated. Okay. Get back out there. And, especially at these young ages, parents taking four days off when their kid has a concussion so he can go back and play the next weekend. Like I tell kids all the time when they ask me, like, you know, lay on the side of caution with that. But that's definitely one area where head injuries are just starting to get the attention that they need. So I think, you know, speaking up on that is huge. Yeah, you had – I mean, was it the second or third concussion where you got soccer play? It was the third one, right, where you hit your head on the ice? And that was um, my – rookie year in Chicago this is like kind of where I knew things were going wrong was I had gotten hit in the in the last shift of my game in Chicago and we had a guy on the team's bachelor party that night Mm -hmm. full transparency like in Chicago um you know I'm a rookie like my last shift got my bell rung didn't go down to the ice like didn't think anything of it Yep. game ends party bus is there like everybody's getting on I'm obviously drinking like everyone's drinking next day I'm hung over like I'm not gonna then go to the training and be like oh yeah like I have a concussion dude you were out with the team no you have all right so two days go by I still have a little headache but like I'm not falling over three days go by you know then we have a game and I knew I was off so I was like oh, I'm not feeling good like my stomach's hurting didn't play that night and then like two days later I'm like I gotta you know it's too late I'm like too late and too far gone in this story to like then have a concussion which is stupid like you Mm -hmm. could just say you know I didn't think I had it now I have the symptom still but it's just like like I said you're on the cusp of in and out of the lineup like you want to do everything in your power to stay healthy and and seem like you're all there fucking step on a puck on a breakaway that game I come back like as you guys are aware hockey players that probably never happens on a breakaway like Mm -hmm. puck comes to your feet kick it to your stick and shoot like I stepped on it slid into the boards separated my shoulder was out for 12 weeks right there so then in my head I'm like well listen like at least I don't have to say anything about my head because my shoulder's actually torn my labrum tear and now I'm going to PT every day and my head can just heal but -hmm. like that's not the case you should be doing all the treatments a concussion protocol should be doing but I didn't do any of it I was actually getting bagged on the bike getting bagged on the ice because it was my shoulder not my legs so like I'm getting like recurring migraines and all this shit. And I'm like so far deep in this bullshit lie because my shoulder, you know, my, my head, I could have just said two days ago, Hey, yeah, I did go out and drink, but who cares? Like I, I still have a headache and that doesn't happen from having a couple drinks. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, like I said, guys are afraid to speak out and it's happened. I've talked to four different guys on one team who that's happened to. And it's like, they don't want, they're like, go see this doctor. He's not the team doctor. He'll treat your neck. He'll treat this. Whereas like, you go to the rink, the guy's like, yeah, have some ibuprofen and like, you should be good. Yes. I mean, yeah, the first I've heard that that's happened too. And 
you're doing everything you can to make sure you're still playing because the margins are so small, you know, you're so close and you've worked your whole life to get to this point and this is your opportunity and you don't want to have, you know, this injury kind of get in the way of that. And if you feel like you can keep pressing forward and keep, you know, playing, you're going to do that, you know, because these opportunities for some, they happen quite a bit and for some they don't. You get one opportunity at, at you know, the American Hockey League and the NHL and that's it. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's just – that's tough. And the fact that you had – okay, you know, you tore your labrum, was it? And then you think, okay, now I have time for my concussion to heal, but that's actually not what happened because then you're getting bad because, you know. Right. Yeah, it was that, just like it, a full-blown shitstorm, you know, because all because you can't go to the trainer and be like, hey, look my head just doesn't feel right. And the response is usually like, don't be a pussy or here's, Mm -hmm. you know, here's a fucking ibuprofen or naproxen and, or whatever pill they're going to give you to feel better for that day, get through practice and then, you know, go home, sleep it off. We have a two hour, you know, two day bus ride. You'll be fine. Sleep on the bus. Your head's rattling against the frigging thing for 12 hours. Like it's just not the environment to heal, you know? No, exactly. Jeez. That's, that's, that's horrible. Um, is everything fine with you now? How is like you completely recover and all that sort of stuff? Or you, do, do you feel you experience some, you know, issues with your head now still too? Um, I think finally now I'm, I'm pretty much back to as close to a hundred percent as I would say I ever was. Um, you know, I, for a while there was a lot of issues. Sleeping was like a lingering thing for me. I had a hard time falling asleep. Um, like some mood swing stuff, just, Truthfully, it was, I mean, it's like a dark time when you have a concussion mm-hmm. and you're out in one of these cities and the team's in Billings, North Dakota or where South Dakota and you're in your own, you know, you're in your apartment that's not even decorated with a because you're there for three weeks by yourself, you know, yeah. watching Netflix on your laptop for three weeks straight while your team's on a road trip. Like yeah. you kind of just turn into like a hobbit kind of. So it was just like weird adapting to like, normal life after something like that but for the most part yeah everything's pretty good I mean I do a lot of stuff as like prehab and precautionary stuff now just to kind of you know some neck workouts and some different eye tracking things just to stay sharp with it but yeah I mean like no medications or anything like that now no all right well that's good to hear and yeah I mean Flo you got anything else for him no man I just uh I think what you're doing um with top line and whatnot is great um i mean it sucks hearing about a guy that you know has his injury uh, has his career cut short due to injury but um i mean the fact that you're sticking with hockey and making a difference in so many you know other hockey players lives is so important and you know such a genuine kind of thing to do because some guys you know they get mad at the sport and they walk away completely um, rather than, you know, take the chance to make a difference. So I think that's great. Um, I know concussions are tough. So, you know, I'm glad to hear that, you know, things are starting to, you know, get back to normal for you, but um, I appreciate you coming on sharing your story. Um, And I think uh, people in North Jersey should definitely check out the facilities because, anyone that's serious about hockey or making it the next level, you got everything you need in one spot. So um, I would definitely, I mean, if I had a kid, I'd 
and lived in North Jersey, I'd probably send them there. So, but uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on. And um, if you guys are ever in the area and want to do like a, a recording out of the, you know, the facility or come get a workout, let me know. Leaner and I would love to have you guys in. Yeah, we'd love that. Thank you again. Um, man, thanks again for coming on to the talk. So really appreciate it. Absolutely, guys. Enjoy. Yeah.